Well, we are finishing our series on neighboring. Uh, my next door neighbor, the one to my right, uh, reminded me just this week that, that I'm not a very good neighbor, that uh, I, I need to do more in the neighborhood. And I said to him, I said, well, I've been telling my church a lot that I, I, I need to do a better job. And he said, well, today you can start at four o'clock as we start picking up trash on Bel Air Boulevard. And I said, well, uh, can I be a, um, a kind of a, a neighbor without you know, having to go out there and pick up trash? He said, no. So I guess I'm picking up trash today. So but uh, you know, being a neighbor is, is, is really important. It's, a, it's an opportunity to uh, really get to know people um, around you. And we've been talking about that and, and um, how important that is. When I think about these things, I think a lot about the church and how we, the church, uh, are we a good neighbor or are we a bad neighbor? Are we a good witness or are we a bad witness? Do we, do we uh, represent, is what we represent really what people are seeing? And so for me, I look at it and I say, you know, there are times when the church gets it right. Uh, you know, the church is focused on mission. Uh, the church is uh, moving in one direction. People are getting prayed for. We're, we're hearing praises and celebrations of what God is doing in people's lives, freeing them from addictions and, and, and afflictions and those kinds of things. And there's the other side where, where the church really misses the boat. And when I say the church, I'm talking about all of us. We are the church, right? You know, we are the church, the people of God who make the church. It's not a building, it is that which indwells in all of us. And there are some times that we just miss the mark. And where we miss the mark is where, where we begin and want the church uh, to be a certain thing or to look a certain way or to do things the way that we like or the way that we want. And we move away from being God-centered or we-centered and we move more into I-center or me-centered. And then the focus becomes on ourself and we lose sight of the mission and we start tinkering with things and we want, and we want the church uh, to, to live into the kind of things that, that are important to us. So the focus moves from a we focus to a me focus. Here, here's some signs of a me focused church. Uh, me focused church, you'll hear things like, I think the church is too cold. Somebody needs to turn the heat on a little bit, or, or we'll hear uh, the sermon's too long, or we'll hear the music's too soft, I can't really hear it, or we'll hear the sermon's too long, or we'll hear, um, you know, the, the people in the church, well, they're just not friendly, or hey, the sermon's too long, or we'll hear, you know, uh, coming on Sunday, I wish it was at a different time, and, and did you know the sermon's too long? And we, we begin to hear, I think I want, I think I want, I think I want, and after a while, if that's what church is, we've lost sight of mission, haven't we? Because our personal preferences, our personal wants, our personal desires, we are out trumping the mission of God because we're focusing on the things that are our wants and our desires. We live in a very consumer-driven world. Would you agree with me? We come into a world where basically we want it, we want it now, and it better be the way that I want it or I'm going to leave. Patty and I were buying a good friend a birthday present yesterday, and we were in a store. We were the only customers in the store, and the only person who was working the store was helping us buy this gift. And somebody came in and, and wanted a lotto ticket right then and there. And the sales clerk who was helping us said, I'll be with you in a minute. I'm working with these customers. And she began to rant and rave a little bit. And then she walked out uh, huffing and puffing because he wouldn't drop everything to help her and then come back to helping us. That's the world we live in today. And, and it's a little tiring, isn't it? It's, it's kind of one of those things where it's not very neighborly. And, and the uh, intentions get that way. And, and so, so I kind of go into those times in my life where um, do people watch at all? I don't mean in a creepy way. I mean, do you, do you watch people at all? 
Anybody? Yeah, I've seen it. You know, it's kind of interesting. You know, you, we have some friends, they watch people, and they kind of make up stories about what they think is going on. And, and you, know, um, you know, I don't want you to think that I'm creepy. I, I watch people too, and, um, uh, but, I, but I do that because I want to be in tune as to what I think might be going on. And if I ever want to know what's going on in the world around me, if I ever want to know what's really happening in my community and in my life, I go to the one place where people let their guard down, where people say, I'm just going to let it all hang out, and I'm just going to let the world know what's going on, and that's Panera Bread. And um, so I'll go there, and I'll have a cup of coffee, and I'll find a table, and I'll just sit there, and I'll just listen. Now, I don't eavesdrop, so don't, you know, again, don't think of me like I'm the Grinch slinking through Whoville and stealing stuff. I don't do that. But, but folks, when you talk so loud a couple of tables away that people a couple of tables away can hear you, it's game on, right? I mean, uh, so, so yeah, I was sitting there on Friday, and I was um, having a cup of coffee, and I was scratching my head, and, and uh, I'm going to make a confession. I, I didn't have the sermon ready yet. And I'm going like, what in the world? God, what is, it, what is it that you want us to talk about this week? I know what the key scriptures are, but I don't know the message. I don't know the message. And for me to have to be working on a sermon on Friday is not a good thing. And uh, so I'm, I'm kind of like, what is it? What is it? But I've come through the years to learn to trust God, that, that if it's not coming together, don't panic, that it's going to come together. And, and I, very, I, I rarely ever visit this one uh, Panera location, but for whatever reason, that, sun, uh, that Friday, this past Friday, I was there. I mean, it's like way out of the way, and I was there. And I was listening to the conversation that was going on. It was two individuals. It was a male and a female, and they're having some conversations. And uh, again, the volume of, of the conversation was so loud, everybody in the restaurant could hear it. So I wasn't eavesdropping, trust me. Uh, I was just sitting there, but, but very much in tune. And he proceeded to share with her all the reasons why he didn't like his church. And I thought to myself, this is really interesting. And there was that kind of impulse to go like, well, do I go tell him what I do? Do I, you know, do I do this? So then I started waiting, but wait a minute, what if he goes to St. Paul? And I, so I just sat there for a while and, and I started kind of listening to some of the things that he was saying. And, and, and maybe these might sound familiar to you. And I'm not making fun of this individual. I'm just merely using them as an instrument of where I think God wants us to be today. So please don't misread why I'm telling you this story. But he began to say things like, um, well, I don't go to that church anymore. And he named the church, and I'm not going to name it. I don't go to that church anymore because, well, their traditional service is at 11, and that's too late because, well, you know, I'm an early riser. I'm thinking, okay. And then he said, uh, and, and I don't go to this other church anymore because, well, they have classes on Wednesday night, and the last Wednesday night class that they did was four weeks long, and I didn't like the topic, so I don't go to that church anymore. And I'm going like, wow, this is really interesting. And then, uh, then some more conversation went back and forth between these two individuals, and it kind of kept going back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. And the other concern that he raised was he said, and this other church that I used to attend, I don't go there anymore because it's too small, and well, whenever you don't go there on Sunday, it's so small, they know you're not there, and they come knocking on your door and want to know, are you okay? And I'm thinking like, man, isn't that what church is? It's community. It's, it's being in touch and, and, and being there with each other. So, so every word that he shared with his table partner, was all the things he didn't like about his church. And folks, my heart is breaking. I mean, you know, it's just not my vocation. It's my calling. And I love the church, and I know you love the church. And, and, and I'm sitting there going like, man, it is so much more than, than, than what you're making it out to be. And then all of a sudden he said, well, this last church I've been attending, I really like the pastor. And I went, Rrr. 
And uh, he got my attention. I'm thinking, okay, this is good. So I thought, wait a minute. So I pulled out my handy-dandy St. Paul, you know, uh, picture directory. I keep it in my back pocket. I pulled it out, and I opened it up, and I'm looking, going like, okay, well, not, not that person. Well, I didn't recognize him. And I thought, okay, I'm going to listen a little bit more. And he started talking about some positive things he liked about his pastor. I'm going like, he's got to go to St. Paul. I just know he has to. And then he named another church. And I thought, ah, oh, man. But, but the whole point, though, is that, that sometimes that's what happens. We get into that me, me, me kind of thing, and we take a look at the mission of the church, and we start, excuse the word, we belittle it, and we bemoan it down to our own personal wants and desires of what we want the church to be, and we lose sight of the bigger picture of what God has called the church to be. So I learned a long time ago that if you listen to somebody talk long enough and you just keep your mouth closed and you just listen, sooner or later, the real issue will come out. Now, folks, this is a real technique that the Quakers use, the Friends Church. And uh, they use this at their time of, of talking and counseling. They'll put someone in the center of a room, they'll surround them with 12 people, and everybody stays quiet, and that person begins to speak who's in the middle. And everyone asks a question that is a, uh, not a yes or no question, but an open-ended question, and it cannot be a question where they know the answer. And so the person begins to answer the questions, and sooner or later, all the fluff and all the things that we do to stop everybody from knowing what's really going on becomes vulnerable, and we tell you what is exactly going on. So after this man, I, I kind of knew like, well, you know, somebody, it's not that he's not happy with his church or the churches he's been to. There's something else going on, and I listened, and I listened, and I listened, and then he said it. You know what his problem was? He was lonely. His wife had died recently, and they did everything together. They were like two peas in a pod. They went to church together. They shopped together. They did everything together. And what it was was really less about his concern over the church and more about uh, uh, how his concern of how he was going to have community again. Now, those churches that he mentioned, I happen to know those churches. I know those pastors. I know people that go to those churches. They're very community-driven churches. And I just I hope and pray for this gentleman that, that he'll just hang in there. And he'll come to really understand that, that there is love in these churches. But he was lonely. You get to a point in life, and that's what loneliness does to you. It, it kind of uh, uh, takes and sucks the wind right out of your, right out of your heart, doesn't it? And, and if you're not careful, loneliness can really change your attitude about things. And it can make you kind of say and be and, and do life in a certain way that's really not the way that you would normally say, do, or be life. And so that's what was happening with this gentleman. I mean, if you talk to any uh, male or female who's gone through a divorce or lost a, or had a spouse die, they will tell you how lonely it is, either through that experience or after the experience. So loneliness is a key piece that, that we see that comes in for that. And, and God says, I don't want you to be an island. God says, I want you to have community. God says, I want you to build around that. So, so I've, I've come to learn something else important, and that is specifically about church life. And the way in which the church does life, uh, those who are happiest in the life of the church are those who are, who are engaged in the mission of the church. They don't just come on Sunday mornings. They don't just uh, partake in a, a, an evening class. But they're actually engaged in the mission, the ministry, and the purpose of the church. These are people who are the arms and the legs and the hearts of Jesus in their community. They are doing the work of God in their community. They're not, they're not just being sponges, absorbing teaching on Sundays, but they are living it into the world. These are the people that I have seen that are really excited and happy and powerful and engaged in the life of their church. 
Jesus said it this way in John chapter 4, verse 34. He said, my food is found in doing the will of the Father. If you've ever heard someone say, well, I don't go there anymore because I wasn't feeling fed, they haven't read the word of God. Because Jesus says, my food, you get fed when you do the will of God. So it's less about what we're being taught what to do. It's more about are we engaging in what Scripture tells us to do. So, so people get happy. Think about your own life. When, when your happiness level goes up, you are a part of your church's mission. You are engaging in the life of the bride of Jesus Christ, the church. And God is moving and living in you in a powerful way. And he's creating community and you're changing lives all around you. But why then do so many people get disenchanted, though, with the bride of Christ. And I love the fact that Jesus says, the church is my bride. Uh, she's adorned. She's beautiful. She's all of those things that God intends her to be. Why do we become disenchanted with her? Well, again, I think it's because we, we lose sight of the mission. We lose sight of the purpose. We start focusing on what we want, and we see less about what God's asking and what's important for other people in the, in the places of our community. Well, Jesus said these words. He said, keep the main thing the main thing. And it doesn't take rocket scientists uh, to figure out that, that in our country today, more Americans are probably struggling today than ever in a long, well, than in a long time in our country. And I'm not making a political statement here, folks. I think if you talk to your neighbors, I think if you look at your own life, if you look at uh, what's going on in your schools, if you talk to people that you work with, I think the general mood of people today is a lot further south than where it needs to be. We are feeling disenfranchised. We are feeling upset. We are feeling um, disconnected. We are feeling like life is out of control. And what it's doing is, is it's removing the smiles and the joy and the things that God has placed in our heart as to what the church should represent and the story of Christ in the world. We're afraid to tell that because we're so just downtrodden. I had a parishioner ask me the other day, Pastor, when will our country smile again? And I didn't ask to go in further. Well, tell me exactly what you meant by that. Because what I've been sensing is, even with our own friendships, and, and Patty and I, we've had lots of conversations of late as to how can we be more joyful with life in general? We are just so engaged and bogged down in, in, in our vocations and our careers and the, the hassles of doing life. Where is the joy? And we see that, and that question is begged for us, that we need to become a people that, that has more joy in our hearts, and we need to live in that kind of way. The Bible says this, when God created man and woman, he said what? You are what? Good. God created you, and he said you are what? Good. No, no, folks, he didn't say good. He said good. He said it, good. Yeah. Right. We are a creation of God. We are the image of God. And when God created us, and God said, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you and I called you by name. And God said, you are good. And we've got to remember that, that our purpose and our life and our mission has credibility and it has meaning. And it's something that we must live into as the church. And we must focus on the greater things than the things so often we get pulled down into. Let's, let's look at the scripture this morning. Um, this is out of, um, out of Luke's gospel. 
Uh, here, here Jesus is sending out the 72. And this, this actually comes after Jesus has a conversation with uh, the person known as the rich ruler, the guy who was unwilling to just go follow Jesus, that his, his possessions, uh, his, you know, um, uh, baseball card collection or his uh, three-car garage filled with stuff was more important than following the Lord, okay? And so, so Jesus now is commissioning the 72, and he's, and he's sending them out. And here, here's what it says in, in Luke's gospel. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was going to go. Now, look at that for a second. He sent them out in what? Twos? And he sent them out ahead of him in the places where he's going. Why did he send them out in twos? Folks, if we get anything right in life, we need to get this right. Faith was never intended to be solely a me and Jesus thing. It's about us and Jesus. It's about body of Christ, community of faith. It's about us coming together. And so sending them out by twos, think about it whenever you are doing something out on your own. And let's say that you're tired or you're feeling exasperated or things aren't going the way that you want. It's hard to complete what it is that you're beginning, isn't it? It's hard to, to stay engaged with the kinds of things that will help you to live into what you need. But if you go out with a friend, when you're feeling down, what's that friend doing? They're building you up. When, when your friend's feeling down, what are you doing? You're building them up. You go out in twos. You know, we look at the, the ark and the animals and we say, well, well, God only put male and female together for procreation. I think there's a bigger meaning here. And he sends the 72 out because he says, first of all, that he's not doing the work by himself and he's not doing it solely with 12, but he's using some math on us. And he says, you're going out in twos and I'm sending you out there. But, but he says, I send you to the places before I get there. Did you catch that? You know what the meaning of that is? We are the advanced team. You know, I'm a, I'm a presidential history buff, and, and I love presidential history. And one of the things that you learn about the Secret Service is if the president ever makes a visit somewhere around the world or in a state or country or whatever, uh, the, the Secret Service has what's called an advanced team. They go out in advance and they check everything out, and they put everything, get, they get ready for the big guy or the big girl or whoever's in the office they, for them to get there. Jesus sends us out in advance of his coming, and we are to be his witnesses. We are to be uh, his billboard. We are to be his um, announcement of that this is who Jesus is. Our life is to represent that. So there's a lot of, a lot of purpose that comes with this, and we go out um, in that, and Christianity is built on the buddy system. But, but here's, here's the piece here. He says, I'm sending you into your neighborhoods, into your community ahead of me, and you need to know something. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Few. There's a lot of things out there that you will come in contact with, but the one thing that you need to know is there's few people to fulfill what I'm asking you to do. There are hundreds of millions of Christians in the world today. There are billions of people in the world today. So when you take a look at it, just in a, in a sheer statistical piece, 
The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And we began to start struggling with this a little bit. And what that says is that, that if, if we have this, this message, this mission, if, if this message of Jesus Christ is so life-changing, if the love of Jesus Christ is so joyous, if having Christ as hope in your life is such a powerful statement, then why is it that we are failing as the church, capital C, and sharing the good news around the world? In fact, today in the westernized world, Christianity is on the decline. There are fewer and fewer Christians every day. And the problem is, is because either the way that we're proclaiming this message of hope or the way we're living our life contradicts the message of hope, that people who don't know what the life is look at us and say, why would I want that? Jesus sends us out by twos. He sends us ahead of him. And we are to be his ambassadors in the world and bringing these things into fruition. But then he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So the question becomes, church, what are we doing? Are we harvesting what's out there? Now, we're beginning that process with these five years, with these two strategic initiatives, to reach out and to touch and to help transform and introduce Jesus to 20,000 people in a five-mile radius of our church so that they will not only know him, but they will share, they will share the love of Christ with others. We also want to reach out and determine what's causing the levels of poverty in our community, not just monetary poverty or financial poverty, but relational, emotional, spiritual. And we want to begin to start dismantling those systems happening in our community that cause people to be spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally living in poverty. And the way we do that is we can't do it by ourselves. I can't do it by myself. Jesus said, I don't, even want you, I don't even want to do it myself. I'm going to commission you because it's bigger than me. It's, big, it's, it's all of you. And go and, and do the things that I'm asking you to do. But then he says this, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So don't take a purse. Don't take a bag. Don't take sandals. Don't even greet anyone on the road. Now, that doesn't sound really hospitable, does it? But when you first enter a house, first say peace to this house. You see, He's creating urgency. The world is broken. The world is fractured. The world is hurting. The church should not take its time in going into the world to share about the good news of Jesus Christ. The urgency, don't stop anywhere. Get to the place where you need to be and stay there and begin to share what it is. So it's that urgency. So, so we need to have an urgency about us. We need, to, we need to be able to have that urgency that moves us forward because of the call and the commission that Christ has given to us. You see, it's not about inside of the church. You see, outside of the church are people just like you and me. Outside of the church are people who struggle to pay their bills. Outside of the church are children who need good, role, who need good role, adult role models. Outside of the church are people that, that need uh, care. Outside of the church are broken people who every day struggle uh, just to think about, you know, well, do I even have a, a reason to get out of bed today? It's not just inside, it's outside of the church too. And we're called to go and to be bold that way. So he says, you know, you're to go and you're to, you're to go out and do those things. But he said there's something else that you need to do. And we find this in Matthew's gospel. And Jesus begins to outline for us that we're to be reminded that we are something. The first thing he says is you are salt. You are salt. 
Now, why salt? Well, you know, again, if we take a look in the, in the ancient world, salt had several purposes, still has some purposes today. Salt was used as a preservative. You know, they didn't have, you know, refrigerators and ice machines and all those kinds of things. And so they would use salt to put on meats and things so that it wouldn't, so it would slow the process of decaying. So Jesus says, you are salt. You are part of ensuring that you're bringing hope to a decaying world. You are the preventative measure for the world to continue its decaying process. And then he says, you are salt, and, and maybe that translates into, you know, something effective like an enhancer. You know, salt is an enhancer. How many eat popcorn? Anybody like popcorn? Yeah, everybody's like, I like popcorn. Well, have you ever eaten unsalted popcorn? Ah, ah. You know, I, I'll eat two pieces of that. I know it's healthier, but I'll eat two pieces of that, and the dog gets the rest of the bag. You know, it's like, hey, I'm not going to eat this. Because, you know, without salt on the popcorn, it's bland. It's like, ugh, who wants that? Tastes like cardboard, you know. So salt is an enhancer. So, so Jesus said, you are salt, and so that means you're, you're to enhance, you're to enhance, you're to add flavor to a world that has no flavor to it at all. And then salt can be used in fertilizer. If you look at some of the... Um, Ingredients for fertilizers, salt is a part of that. So salt is used to grow things. So he says, you're salt. You're to grow. You're to grow my love and my care and everything that there is about me in the world. You're to ensure that I'm growing in the world. So we see some significant things with that. But then he also says this. He said, not just salt. He says, but we're to be light. So not, not think about being salt, not think about being light, but you are salt, so you are, I am, and we are also light. And he says this, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. I mean, think about that. If, you had, if, I, had a, like if I had this candle here and I put a big bowl over it, I'd starve it of oxygen, what would happen to the flame? It'd be out. So we're not supposed to hide our light under a bowl. Instead, we're to put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In the ancient world, again, Thomas Edison had not invented the light bulb yet, folks. And so they used oil lamps. And if you've ever been camping or those kind of things, if you put the lamp on the ground, it kind of lights more this way. But if you put the lamp up on a tall thing, it lights that way, right? Are you catching the image? So we're not supposed to just light a little bit of a ways, but we're to stand tall because we have a big God and we are to be the light of Christ in the world in a broader way. And people should be able to see the light in which our life lives. And that's the challenge. The Lord says, be light and be bright because the world is constantly starving to kill the light. Too many of us know too many people who have bought into what the world says it offers. The world says, we'll give you this and this and this and this. And next thing you know, the world can't deliver. God says, be my light and be the light in, into the world. Uh, God's story is, is very powerful and it's, and it's one of faith. The apostle Paul stood before a court and looked at the jury and he said these words. Before I met Jesus, my life was prideful. My life wanted to snuff other lives out. My life was messed up. I was angry. I had no purpose. Then I met Jesus and my whole life changed. 
And Paul won over the jury that day. And I think about my life, and I want you to think about your life for a second, about how we can be salt and how we can be light. And I remember way back when where I thought that my relationship with God was built upon how much I could do for God. Maybe, maybe you've been there too. Maybe you're there now. And we think if I just work a little harder, if I just do a little bit more, if I just do, 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 then God's going to know and love me even more. Well, that's called works righteousness, and we're not those kind of people. God loves us no matter what. God gives us his grace no matter what. We don't have to earn it. But I was that kind of person. And a guy came to my life, his name was Bob Davis. And I was already a pastor. And Bob, Bob began to shepherd me. He became my salt, he became my light. And he started talking to me about his life, about how he was a recovering alcoholic, how he had lost three or four businesses, been bankrupted so many times. He had lost his house, he had lost his cars. He nearly had lost his marriage and his relationship with his kids, but something about his relationship in Jesus Christ kept him connected. Bob said, Bob, I wanna be your salt. I wanna be your light. And I want you to know God loves you. God will always be there for you. You don't have to do a thing. And Bob turned my life around. So today, part of our homework assignment as we finish this neighboring series is I want you to think about who the Bob Davis was in your life. That person who became your salt, that person who was your light, who turned your life around. If that person is still alive, I want to encourage you this week to reach out to them. Let them know what they have done for you. If they're dead, then say a prayer of gratitude and thanks to God for putting them in your life. And here's your final exam. And that is, who will you be salt and light to? And how will you share the good news?